From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. This is your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Wesley from FP Complete. Wesley Crook, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. I'm really excited to, to get into things here. First, to kick us off, can you tell me a bit about who you are and what your company is and what you guys are doing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Wes Crook, Wesley Crook. Been doing this for about 40 years now. Started off back in the early 80s and gone up through the business. FP Complete is a company that we make the impossible possible. We build software. We build advanced system software across complex environments in the fintech, life science, pharma spaces. We are into the smart contract blockchain space. Our mission is to build and architect highly secure, highly efficient software. And that's what we've been doing since the founding 12 years ago. And we've been very successful at that as we've moved through our time. I love it. That's awesome. So what's your story? How did you get into this space? Back in the day, 1985, when I was in college, I took a job my mother was working for a company in New York. She moved to New York with my stepfather and somebody sold a local area network by three at the company she was working for. And they had no idea how to install it. They had no idea what to do with it. It was for Con Edison, the power company. And they asked me to go figure it out. So I just said, sure, why not? So I went up there during my summer break and figured it out, installed it. And next thing I know, I'm running around installing them all over Manhattan for them with Edison. And then from that point, I was in it as an engineer, systems engineer, working for my first company. I came out of Texas A&M, ended up in Philadelphia and made the move to Boston with another company. And then not the time the dot-com bomb happened about 1999, um, we looked at the world, how it was changing very quickly. And I decided to start a company of my own and got into entrepreneurship. My first company, Artisan, we grew that from nothing starting in January 2000, sold it in 05, and then I sold another, started another company around the heels of that and ran that to about 2010 and then sold it. And then got, and there's all in the technology space, all in the engineering infrastructure space. Then I came back around, back into corporate America with a company called Capgemini. Did that for several years. I got tired of being in corporate America per se. So I was looking at opportunities on startups, small companies, things of that nature. So I ended up with a local company here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that was in the travel management spin. The founder had been in the business 23 years. He was looking to figure out how to exit the business and sell it. So he brought me as a chief operating officer to help make the business a consulting business, not just a bunch of folks running around doing things. And we did that. We, we took about a three-year plan, put it together, got the company sold. So when I left BG at that time, I ended up coming over here to FP Complete, same type of story, where the founder founded the company back in 2011. And he'd been running it up till 2019, decided that he was not a operator or a CEO, he wanted to get growth and then exit the business at some point in time. So I've been here since 2019 and executing on that plan to frame the business in a way that would be marketable to a seller or to a merger. So that's where we are today. And at the end of the day, if you ask one thing that I do is I'm a strategist and I'm an operator. I know how to put companies in the right position to grow them and to sell them. And that's what I've been doing pretty much my entire career. I love it. That's awesome. 
So I'm really curious to get into some advice that you might have for other entrepreneurs when it comes to growing, operating, even selling a company. What are some of the tactics and strategies you've used to make the companies that you've created and grown, operated successful? That's a very good question because it sounds different. But I think if you look at the main three, it's know who your customer is, know what you can do and have about five plans on getting there because nothing's going to go the way you anticipate it, good or bad. So I have a, in like with this company, I have plan A, this is how we're executing today. If something happens good, this is what we do. If something happens bad, this is what we do. And we keep that kind of flowing. The other thing that is very important in a business is having good cash flow and making sure you have sufficient liquidity in your business to adjust because things happen. COVID happened. You know, that was a bad time. Other things are happening. We're going into recession. Customers stop paying on time. Customers go out of business. So you have to be flexible and have a lot of liquidity and cash flow. So those are really my advice, how I've always executed the business is understand what my customer wants, why they want it. And it's a lot of times not what they're asking for, but what is really going on is what they need. And then just building the team out to execute that and have a lot of different options available to, to ship. It's really it. Absolutely. What are some lessons you've learned? Maybe some hard lessons or anything over the years that you're like, oh man, this is like huge learning. Everything I just said on my strategy for execution, know who your customer is. I've been in situations where we thought we knew who our customer was, and we did. We were answering to a certain level of the organization's needs, but that was not aligned with the corporate strategic direction. So you pushed off to the side and out the door. I've had companies, COVID was a period of time where in the course of three months, I lost half my customer base through bankruptcy and contract terminations due to COVID. That slammed liquidity, literally crushed us on cash flow. The things we've learned is it's not as bad as it looks and it's not as good as it looks. So just, if you believe in what you're doing, just execute and you'll get through it. Today might be a bad day. This week might be a bad week. Next month might be a bad month. But if you believe in your strategy and you believe in your team and the execution, you can drive through that. It's just having to work hard to do it. I feel like building companies sometimes being on a roller coaster you think you're climbing to the moon and then everything's all crashed and burned the next day and it's oh man how's it ever gonna i like that it's not as bad as it looks but it's also not as good as those high days when you're gonna crush the world absolutely i've seen too many people get a real high going and all of a sudden they they start spending their their nickels before they've actually really figured out if that's going to be the baseline going forward and it could be just a spike and then they get themselves in a mess real quick. Absolutely. Let's talk about like sales, marketing, like how you've found customers, all that stuff. Have you done anything with content, LinkedIn? Have you found any strategies that, Hey, this has worked really well from just a sales and marketing customer acquisition standpoint. This business that I'm in, consulting, engineering, software engineering, we do content generation. We do send out, we do a lot of technical blogging. We pride ourselves or have pride ourselves in the past on being an educator to the open source community. We have YouTube videos. We have over 400 blog posts that we have out there that we've done, case studies newsletters and all those things that we run through Twitter and through LinkedIn and things of that nature. To be honest with you, those do not really drive sales. They might 
they give you some brand awareness, but at the end of the day, in our business, it's relationships. And it's really people buy from people they know and they trust. So when we have our best success with our customer base is when we go to conferences where we go in person, which, you know, COVID created a little hole there for a couple of years. And we speak at these conferences and people go, oh, that's my problem. I want to talk to you guys at the conference. That's how we've done our best selling. In my organization today, I have a very small sales force. The mo most of my sales comes through relationships of my engineering managers and myself and my sales team, where we partner with our customers and solve really complex problems. So it's a trusting factor. A lot of the things we build for our customers quarter their business. So they're very nervous that they're giving up the core of their, their all, all software to the business and just to a third party. A lot of them, that's one of our big challenges is having the people trust us to know that we know what we're doing. We know how to build it. We can build it faster, better, more secure than you can because we've lived through it for years and get in and out. That's the way we sell. So it's a lot of follow the friend, so to speak. With the market we go after, there's a lot of movement of engineering and VPs in the business. So they'll be here for a year, then they'll be over there for a year. And having those relationships, when they move, we move with them. And over time, we've built a very nice customer base. When I first came into this organization back in 2019, we were exclusively email campaign, exclusively using the old HubSpot track and stock customers, 10,000 emails, all this stuff. And we were spending a lot of money doing that with the staff and with all the things we were doing there. And I was looking at it and I just did a quick ROI on it. I was like, here's my 10 customers. How many of them came in through this channel? None. How did I get these 10 customers? Oh, here. Okay. That's where we need to be focusing our energies and efforts. Lunch and learns meetups, in-person engagements. And we started making that shift in 2019. We continued heavily with that, heavily with the email campaigning and things of that nature. I hired an outside firm to come in and help us get the message right, who's the buyer, all that good stuff. And at the end of the day, it was a good exercise. It gave us purpose and focus on who we were really going after, getting to a more concise message of the business that we can put out there. But it didn't really bring customers in the door. You know, on the SEO search, it helped move us up to the top page type of thing. But people don't Google engineers for what they're looking for. That's like, hey, I know people. Yeah. Who do I know? Who do I have a relationship with? Right. Oh, exactly. That's kind of how we go about our sales story here. Absolutely. What's the most difficult challenge you face as CEO and how have you overcome it so far? The difficult challenge that I had was when COVID hit. I was fresh in CEO, August of 2019. We were, the company was moving, got a strategy in place and COVID hit in force. And we literally lost half our revenue in a three month period with customers going bankrupt and going out of, and closing down. And for us, I had a really strong engineering team globally and having to make the decisions we had to make to survive. I did make a very conscious decision. We had a lot of cash in the bank, made a very conscious decision to pivot, to try to pivot to a product company and build IP that we've developed into a product so I could keep those engineers in place. Because as back then, everybody said, oh, COVID will be over by May. COVID will be over by August. So we're thinking, okay, this is a three to six month cash burn while we survive through this. And as we all know, it's a two-year journey. But 
that was the toughest challenge when we got into the summer and it was like, this is not ending and having to start making hard decisions on who I had to cut from the team to, for survivability. That was one of my biggest challenges in the recent past. Yeah, that's tough. So what's one thing you wish you would have known when you first became CEO that you know now? That people try to placate you. It is really important to have people that will just tell you like it is. And what I find in this seat is they'll agree with you, even if you're, I mean, if you said the wall's purple and it was clearly blue or red, oh yeah, it's purple. I see purple. Yes, no, you're an idiot. It's red, Wes. You got to have honest people. And that's what I wish I would learned earlier in my career, even as a, not a CEO, but even as a VP and a senior leader is having people on your team that will be direct and honest and tell you you're wrong. That's the biggest thing I wish I'd have known coming in. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. The, what's that saying? The emperor has no clothing or something. It's yeah. So I get that too. He wants to say yes. And it's a great idea. And they might be thinking this is a terrible idea and we can't do it. So if you could go back in time and give your younger self, one tip or piece of advice before becoming CEO, what would it be and how would it have changed your approach at the time? Patience, be more patient when you're executing. Things have to evolve over time. So don't think if you do something today that you'll see results and also make sure you are planting a lot of seeds. Um, what you think is going to work won't work or may not work to your expectations. So have a lot of different avenues to be able to move the company forward and execute. Don't just say, I'm going to go do this and that's all I'm going to do and expect results in 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, it's like nothing happened. And then you start changing, just stay the course, make sure you have a good plan, execute and be patient. I like that. I've always been surprised that whether it's like a certain deal or plan or whatever, the one you think's like a for sure thing falls through. And then the one you're like, thought was just off to the side works out. So it's crazy. Exactly. Or people just start making changes. So when you're talking to a customer, we want to do this is the right thing to do. And the customer says something and it's like, oh, let's change the whole thing today. I remember early in my career, my president and vice president of the company I was at, it was like every other day we were doing something different because they read it or they heard it or somebody at IBM said we should do it or somebody at this company said we should do it. And it was like, it was just a lot of wasted energy. Well, like a wild goose chase. Yeah. So let's talk about a time when you had to pivot business strategy. I think you just mentioned one. What was your thought process? How did you come to that decision? What are some of the things that you do when you're thinking of making those big, important strategic decisions? The biggest thing is because you know what I do, what I'm very good at is turning companies around and getting them in a position to be sold or to acquire, be acquired. So one of the biggest things I look at and think through is, again, going back, who is my customer? Who am I trying to sell to? What are the problems I'm trying to solve? And, and then look at the organization. Are we positioned for that? Are we not positioned for that? Is it a quick change? Is it a slow change? Do we need to acquire whatever? And so you kind of think through all the things and you also have to be very willing to put on the table long-term people that have been in the business. Because, you know, when you're building businesses and growing businesses, 
a person that can do something at 5 million is not the person at 10. That's not the person at 20. And then unfortunately, those people may not be the right people long-term and you have to make changes. And I've been in organizations where I came in, they're great at what they're doing and they are an absolute limiter to the growth of the company because they're that scale. And obviously we, I mentioned the COVID pivot with FP Complete back in 2020 to the product business, but like when I was at TCG prior, they had always done it the same way. It was always four people doing all the work and the support staff just carrying the water for them. They were all rock our mentality. And it was like, you know, my CEO, I was like, if you want to grow, I'm sorry, these are not your leaders. These are your workers. You need leaders above them to help facilitate. And it took me a year and a half to convince him of that. And once we convinced him and started making those moves, the business grew like 300% the next year because people that could think in a bigger context that we brought in, that's hard. I totally agree. I think it's so tempting, especially when you're a startup to give somebody the title of VP or something, or the VP of engineering or whatever. And then six months later, it's, oh, actually we need someone else as our VP of engineering. And now you, that person, the relationship's different and all that. So I think it's one of those I learned firsthand too, is a title, inflated title early on thing, something to avoid. Absolutely. Inflated titles, inflated responsibilities, overpaying them. You're paying them based on title, not skill. It can get you into, in a pickle quick. And then you have the whole dynamic of relationships within the organization. This person started with the founder and they've been there for 20 years. You can't get rid of them. It's challenging. Absolutely. And then the whole emperor wears no clothing for that person too and all that. Yeah, yeah it, it does. It's hard. It's hard. It's, it's the question. I always ask the question, what do you want to be? When I work with these people that I've come in and help turn their businesses and sell them is, do you want to be a friend or do you want to retire with millions of dollars in your pocket? Your choice, I'll do what you want, but if you want, this has to happen. And it's not fun, it's not pretty, it's not things that people want to go in and do, but it's part of the job, so to speak. If you want to do this, you got to put the right people in the right positions and sometimes there's collateral damage that goes with that. Absolutely. Great advice. Well, Wesley, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining today and sharing all your wisdom and insights. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. And hopefully I did leave off a few nuggets for people to learn from. Absolutely. It's been great.